Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. My name is Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, Jody. How are you? I was feeling a little bit demonic there as it got started for some reason. Is that what that was? <laughs> I have not an idea. I don't know. But it was fun. It, it was what it was. You kind of turned and looked to the side. I wonder if I completely shocked you at this point. No, I think that's just me getting in the headspace of trying to, to talk and, and make some sounds for at least a half an hour of my day. So. Oh, I know what it was. You were coming down with a vision. I see what you're doing there. Yeah, I had a vision. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Spell it out, buddy. Getting a vision for how a mix should turn out when you are at the control board to do so. Yeah, this is a subject that most of us have probably heard where people are describing when they're listening to a mix and people say, I'm listening to the song and I get a vision for what the mix is going to do. To me, that has sounded really, really cryptic. Like, what are you talking about? You know? Synesthesia, man. Synesthesia. <laughs> but to, yeah. But to me, what I think it means is you're listening to a bunch of elements that we're going to walk through today and thereby getting an idea of what it is that you're going to do to the mix and making it and taking it to the place where it needs to be type of thing. The golden peak of mixed godliness and hopefully that's a place where it should go right because <laughs> right. yeah because we we can i know i have i have completely misjudged that sometimes where not with my own stuff because then obviously i would be in real trouble if i oh that's not where i wanted to go with it you know but uh, <laughs> are you breaking your own arm right now <laughs> right but if you're dealing with and you're mixing a song for somebody else a client or a friend or whoever you might have a different idea where that should go and things that you hear that the client doesn't do. So sure. walking through a few things here, I think, at least for me, is that this is what I consider when I'm doing the mix. And hopefully you're, you're in the same boat there. I think you are. The first thing that I will tend to do, and this is not on my own stuff. This has everything to do with working for a client or someone else who's bringing something to me to mix the first thing I'm going to ask for is a rough mix just to mm -hmm. see where their headspace is with what it is they want. Yeah. I don't know. Is that something you do? Yeah, I know oh, it's totally. I do. Yeah. I mean, because th that, that answers so many questions right there. That this is the way we're hearing it kind of, sort of, mm -hmm. right? And then it's your job to take that up a couple of extra notches. But that can obviously give you a good idea of where they're going. It's one thing, let's say that they're, you're given a rock mix. If there isn't a rough, your tendency might be to, okay, I'm going to make this sound as polished and pristine and tight as possible. When they're going, no, 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 this is a black metal album. I, I want this <laughs> to sound really, really rough around the edges. You know what I mean? Right. A rough mix can help, but certainly can help. What are the things that you do? Once I have the rough mix, then it becomes a conversation with the client to see what it is in their headspace that translates from that rough mix. And sometimes, or at least a good number of times, it translates fairly well and makes it easy for me to understand where the direction needs to go. But there are times when... 
they're too close to it, I think is a good way of saying it. And they're missing some really good opportunities on where it should go. Things that should be emphasized that they're not emphasizing. Things that they're emphasizing that should not be emphasized, in a sense. And that becomes the diplomatic portion of things when that happens to be like, let's try this and see what you think. Yeah. And I think that's a good reason, an opportunity to have somebody else mix your stuff because you have that fresh ear. Like you said, you're not that close to it and you're hearing your song a certain way, but there might be a better way that you're not hearing it or parts that might stick out to somebody else that are really good that you're not considering. Where it might be like you're saying like, oh yeah, but you hear that keyboard line that's going on. That's a great hook. We should emphasize that more rather than having that just tuck behind the vocal or whatever. Yeah. Obviously that conversation with the client needs to happen. And here, I suppose we should mention that we need to have also a, perhaps a reality check with the client sometimes. Do tell. Where, where, you know, you're getting a certain quality of tracks back. Mm. And yes, of course, you want to make sure everything gets as good as it can be. But if somebody records a bunch of tracks in their basement, it's probably not going to end up sounding like Fleetwood Max Rumors or Def Leppard's Hysteria or take any of your well-produced and recorded and mixed albums. Yes. I have had that conversation with more than one client in the past where you learn not only from listening, it obviously becomes quite painfully obvious, like how it might have been recorded. And then they tell you it may have been recorded in more than one different spot and they want it to match. And that gets really hard. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that can get really, really tough for me, especially with drums like Mm -hmm. that. They're recording in a completely different room, perhaps even like different setups or whatever. And yeah, you can get it relatively close, but... Well, same thing happens with vocals. Oh, I sang this particular take with me in my bedroom facing north, and then they do it again. Oh, this one was done in my living room, and I was facing south or whatever. I'm throwing in directions for no apparent reason, but they are in two different rooms, and they want the rooms to sound the same. Mike's placement in different rooms is going to cause the mic to sound different, them being different distances from the mic and then wanting to match that up from two different rooms at two different distances. Oh boy, that's just, that's hard. So you have to be a little bit of a realist to give them a reality check that you can get it close, but you're not going to get it to be the same. Yeah. I guess our job is just to get it as close as it can be without it being too obvious that it's completely different things. And we can make other creative choices there to really emphasize the differences as well. But You have to be realistic with what you have to work with as well. Now, you do a lot of rock stuff, I know. Mm -hmm. Does that change the way your vision would approach any other genre, or you just kind of take the same approach on it all? No, my approach doesn't change, but the vision for the mix will change, obviously. Mm. And what I mean by that is I make similar types of calls where this is a rock or a metal track, There's going to be certain aesthetics that are going to be more appropriate to that than if it's a pop track Mm -hmm. or like in go extreme, like an EDM track, whatever. You're still making these judgment calls. So it's just taking into consideration what the musical style is. Mm -hmm. 
And that obviously sounds dumb, but when you're listening to that track the first time, that's what you're taking in. That's the very first thing. You're like, oh, this is not as heavy as I thought it was going to be, or this is way heavier than I thought it was be, or, oh, this is a pop track, or if like, oh, this is actually a country tune, whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, so, so you're making judgment calls on that right away. That's the first thing I kind of listen for. And I'm sure you're the same way there, right? Yes. I will take it a step further in also asking the client for references in their vision to several other songs or artists that they feel their encampment wagon train fits around. Okay. So that I can go and listen to those songs to get a feel for what that vision should be, provided I'm not being asked to provide what I would normally do. Right. But is that something that you do just sort of like on request, or is it something that you always try to do, look for some, I want references to whatever it is, or do you find that you go with your experience and what your gut feeling is about where a track is? Or, That's part or, of the discussion with the client. So if the yeah. client has very clear references, I've got to put those in. If they're hamming and hawing and they don't know, or they're very adamant to be like, well, you know, you did this. I want to hear that in reference to me. And I'll go that route. Mm -hmm. Mainly because I can have a tendency to go a little bit overboard with how I will layer things into a mix with the soundscapes that I create in that regard. And it's easy for me to not necessarily get lost, but to just go on some pretty tangential journeys to approach that. But if they're coming back and saying, well, you know, it needs to be this and that vision is much more simplistic, that makes it easier, I guess, on my part. Because I don't have okay. to go so far into my sonic journey of how I'm going to approach dealing with a client's vision. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. When we're talking about that, obviously, musical style and things that, to me, at least I would consider then, is things that are going to be kind of going through the whole list here. Okay, what what does that style require in the form of sonic clarity? Does that what what is the top end doing? How is the low end? What you're smiling, I'm probably because I'm thinking of like the sonic juiciness, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, but, and I also started thinking of the Wonder Twins when you started saying right off the bat. <laughs> the Wonder Twins. Yeah, there was a old cartoon from childhood days of the Wonder Twins, and they would bump each other's fists in form of an ice sheet or whatever. And then the girl would be some animal. And for some reason, when you were talking about clarity, I thought of the guy who would be always some form of like a water. <laughs> you're, you're a strange, strange man. But I'm going to land on my feet anyway, because you mentioned water there and yes. wet. So I'm thinking also what kind of reverbs and things are, are we going to deal with here? Is this going to be a dry mix? Is it going to be more judicious types of reverb or that type of thing. So mm -hmm. musical styles will inform those kind of choices. I mean, it's not just like, oh, this is a metal track or this is a pop track. That will in turn, for me, inform those choices. Right. So I agree with that. Yeah. Something we kind of touched on last week when we we're talking about reverb specifically would be what's the arrangement of the song? Right. Is it like a real dense thing? Is it sparse? Because those, again, will 
affect how I'm going to treat the mix, right? If it wants to be a more of a sports track and kind of like a little bit of a dry thing, mm-hmm. just to have that real separation, or does that call for more use of reverb and spatial effects, that type of thing, to kind of make it more cohesive or just have a completely different landscape? Yes, I will take that a step further in the arrangement concept. Sparse and dense to me can mean a couple of different things. One, it can mean track counts. And sparse Mm -hmm. could be a matter of three or four tracks, if that. Dense can mean hundreds of tracks. Well, maybe not hundreds, but upwards of 100 plus. But other things that denote sparse and dense as well is the actual parts themselves and how busy they are. Because you could have a lot of tracks that are doing very simple things and it can feel quite sparse. And you can have very few tracks that are doing extremely busy things that can feel super dense. Yes. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. And that changes the way I would approach a mix as well. You probably feel the same way as I do. And feel free to disagree with me if you don't. But that will give you more, obviously, space in the mix to do and more possibilities for being creative with certain things. Yes. If there's stuff going on all the time in a mix, you're probably not going to be as judicious with, or at least I wouldn't be, with spatial effects and things just on individual tracks because there simply isn't room for it. Right. And then also the judgment call there is you said at the top here where people can be really into their rough mix mm-hmm. and not hearing things, but perhaps a call for there, if there simply is too many things going on, one of those things has to take precedent where some things might have to take a back seat. So if you have a, a guitar part in the verse, that's like there's five of them stacked on each other. Right. Well, do we really need to hear all five or are we going to be fine with two type of a thing? Well, so, and that also but, comes down to, are they creating a chord because they're all playing single notes or are they well, all sure. playing chords or riffs or whatever? That's part of my concept of how do I determine whether it's a sparse or dense mix? It's not just the number of tracks. It could be how busy each of those tracks are. And in that regard, going off of what you just said, it's also sometimes a good idea to have the fader movements so you can bring things in and out sure. or the good old mute button. You know what? <laughs> Let's take this shit out right here <laughs> and, Yeah, and have something else be completely the focus. Right. And that's so, all part of getting that vision. I know that on accident, I once had a part remove itself in a sense because I had forgotten to unmute it. And then realized, wait a minute, there's a part missing here. And -hmm. I went back and found where it was nice to have it in the mix. So I started automating the mutes of bringing it in and out Mm -hmm. where it made more sense. And that was a happy accident. And those can happen and help shape the vision. Now I know that as part of my toolbox because I've done it more than once kind of thing. And that can come down to simple just experimentation on the artist part where they're just like throwing everything in there. And I just recently heard Tom Lord Algie, first name drop of the uh, of the podcast. You but he names. said, you know, they, they when he was producing somebody and he would go, well, if you don't record it, how am I going to mute it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it gives you something to do. But it, 
again, there's like sometimes those decisions can be left up to the mix engineer, right? Where right. do you think this work? Can we make something cool with this? And I would say not to necessarily be afraid of muting stuff as long as you don't completely miss Destroy the mark. And right. just, yeah, and, and piss off the client, right? Speaking of throwing the kitchen sink and whether or not to mute it once you've thrown it, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back from our kitchen sink bath. What you got next, Chris? Next up is feel of the track. This might sound like I'm talking about musical styles here, but I'm thinking about is, is the feel an aggressive track? Is it an intimate track? And is it a Motown track? <laughs> yeah, different feel, right? Different vibe. What's the point? What's the lyrical content of the track? Is this something that is aggressive? Is it pushing something? Is it rebelling against something? That doesn't have to be a rock track. This could be a R&B track that is singing about an X or something, uh-huh. right? Something getting off the chest type of thing. That will inform the use of effects and things specifically let's say vocal things where it might be appropriate to add some distortion or or a little bit of dirt to a vocal to make it have that a little bit more expressiveness and anger almost sounds like they're they're spitting at you they're frothing out the mouth as you're singing this right (laughs) or if it's an intimate love song, you're probably less likely to do that because it wouldn't enhance the emotion of the song. Right? Not so, likely anyway. Right. Could you do it? Yeah. But if somebody's singing about the love of their life and it's distorted, unless that love of the life is drugs, you know, <laughs> it, it's not going to be appropriate, right. right? That's what I mean with the feel of the song. It could also be different things. Like, mm-hmm. But what does feel mean to you of a track? Generally speaking. I can get where you're going with that on the feel of things. I take it also meaning something entirely different in terms of groove and vibe. And to me, a lot of the time, I want the listener to be able to move with the track. And if things are static, I have to sort of force the hand sometimes. Unless, as you're pairing it with lyrical content, it's meant to be static. Mm-hmm. I agree on the concept of if it is a track full of fury and anger, you need to hype that up in some way, shape, or form, whether it's distortion or sheer volume or what have you. By the same token, the idea of intimate, less spatial quality probably going on, and it's going to feel much closer to the mic, and everything's going to feel real close kind of thing. Obviously, those are two extremes. There's many ideas of feel in between. And to me, it's quite intimately tied to the groove that's going on. And hopefully, the musicianship has helpfully defined that in what Mm -hmm. should be happening with a groove. One of my favorite examples of that was having a song played at a giant listening session with probably... 75 musicians sitting around as a quote-unquote expert was playing a song and giving comments on it. You could see the whole audience of musicians just bobbing their head to the song and grooving with it. Mm 
So you knew that they were into it. And the moment that they hit stop to start commenting on it, it broke everybody's trance. And to me, I like to have a song regardless of where it's going with feel and groove and such to get somebody into that space where they're going to be yanked out of it if it's turned off. So what are those things that you might do then to sort of enhance the feel from a mix perspective? What what? I think a lot of it has to do with setting up the spatial quality and really understanding the rhythmic interplay that happens with all of the instruments going on. This is where sometimes as you're given a mix by somebody or the tracks from a client, I should say, not given a mix, but given the tracks, maybe they don't have that rhythmic sensibility to understand how layering the parts will work. And that's where your mute button can become pretty judicious, where you can mute things in and out to help enhance the quality of the groove that is inherent to what's going on. Sometimes the groove is not necessarily a groove so much as it is straight and bland, but you can still get somebody into a space based on the feel and the groove And I use that word very loosely on that part when it's a straight thing. But you can get them into that space that they're going to be yanked out of it if it's turned off kind of thing. So you're kind of talking about here if there's an additional part perhaps that it's just kind of ruining that groove. Yes. And you might consider, okay, well, that keyboard line that tramples on top of everything, it's just ruining the feel and the groove of the track. Bring that out. or Bring it out. At least lower it. it. Or lower it. Something that hides its nature that's destroying that trance-like quality that I hope to get a listener to get into with a particular track. Emphasize the bass, the way it goes along with with a kit or whatever Whatever it is. That's what, right, yeah, okay. And it doesn't always have to be the drums. It could be a guitar part. It could be a vocal. It could be something else, instrumentally speaking, that creates that, and then everything else has to enhance that and support it. And that's part Mm -hmm. of finding that vision. And that comes from listening to their rough mix of what they want and also talking to them about where it's supposed to go in their mind. And if it's not quite gelling, you need to figure out, if I bring something to the table, are they going to be okay with it? And if they're not, maybe you're not the right person to be doing that mix. That's very true as well. And that's something you need to have a thing as too. And the other thing too, and I don't want to say it like this, but it's really kind of coming down to, you may not have a vision for the mix. Then (laughs) it becomes, why are you even doing it? Oh, I need the money. Well, that's a bad reason because then you're not imparting something that is beneficial to the client and the listener. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, no, that, that can be a cruel reminder that we might be lacking something, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you're not adding, getting it. And it's, it's yeah. possible you just don't get what it is that they're going for. Right. It might seem scary to sort of turn down work. Ultimately, if you're not the best guy to deliver what the client wants, that's not a job that I think that you should take. You're better off being a little bit more selective and where you can actually impart something to it. That will serve you better in the long run. Well, it serves you and the client and the listener. It becomes a win-win-win in that case. Yeah. And I think you end up 
getting a lot more respect from that as well. So look, I'm not the guy for this. I, Learn I don't think to I'm say the, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's a tough lesson, but it's it it, it's a good one to learn. Yeah. yeah. To kind of put somewhat of an umbrella on top of all of this, I mean, things that people say enhance the energy of the track or enhance the feel of the track, all these things that we kind of discussed listening to this, is it a stylish track? Is it going to sound like really hi-fi, high fidelity? Is it going to be really rough sounding? It's kind of like a chaotic kind of mix, or is it going to be a really clean, pristine type of a mix, right? Those are things that I try to listen for initially. I know what I like, but it, what I like might not be what the song is calling for. Uh -huh. So you have to kind of take into consideration all those parameters. And I, I think that's how I at least try to get a vision for a mix. And I think a lot of people work in a very similar way. Yep. I don't disagree with it. We're moving on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I have two today. Yes. I'm being greedy. Sly devil. I know. There are also two freebies. So Ooh. I thought they, at least at the time of recording of this podcast. One of them is free. The other one is definitely free. So I'll start with that one. And that is from ML Sound Lab. You and I both use various IR loaders and amp sims. Mm -hmm. And there's a plugin from ML Sound Lab now called Miko 2. I think that's named after the, the guy. Is that one really free? There's two versions. There oh, is a free gotcha. version okay. and there's a full version. But what this one will do is give you a cab and three different microphones that you can position in any way your heart desires around this cab. And you can output IRs from it. Mm. So it is a great way to kind of create your own IRs if you want. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can expand with all sorts of different cabs. So if you want to go that route and kind of like really sort of dial in your own IRs that you could share or do whatever with, that's a cool one. So that, that's the first one. That's Miko 2. And my second one is from Pulsar Audio. They have a full 1176 called the Smasher. And that is essentially the British mode with all buttons plugged in. And right now, the reason I want to bring it up is that it's free through Plugin Boutique. Mm. That'll save you 49 bucks. So if you want that sort of hyper-aggressive kind of sound and you don't have anything in your plugin arsenal, that might be worth picking up. Sweet. So those are my two picks. What have you got, Jody? I'm going with a hardware box this week. Cool. By a company called Headrush. And the box is called Prime. It is a stomp box of sorts that has multiple buttons on it with not even maybe LED readouts and lights and such that the buttons themselves can change functionality and then they get named accordingly. It has a touchscreen to it, has several adjustment knobs as well, and a expression pedal on the side. This is typically meant for guitar players as it is an amp in a pedal along with auto-tune for your vocals. So if you are a solo guitar player who sings, this thing can correct your vocals while you're playing live. It is an amp cloner, so you can clone amp setups that you like. It has the ability to rearrange effects in any order. 
which is pretty cool. It's essentially like taking the pedal that I have already created that's meant to drive a computer and putting the computer in the pedal. Which yeah, is probably pretty wild. much smaller. But that, that's is, awesome. yeah, very but, much smaller than the one that yeah. I've got. The idea of it is extremely cool. I like the fact that it can load IRs as well. You get real guitar tones out of it. The Prime by Headrush is a very, very interesting box for guitarists, really, really cool. bassists, and vocalists all together. Sounds like a one. great tool for like if you're doing like fly gigs. Fly or gigs like and that. such, because it is a small little unit. Fantastic. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase, vision and you'll get something cool back in your inbox if you have a topic or suggestion for chris and i to pontificate on in a future episode contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week thank you for listening everybody take care jody